Hello and welcome to WNHH Radio's Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. Hey, remember Ned Lamont? He kept us ticking back in 2006 when he won an upset victory in a U.S. Senate primary where a lot of the action took place right here in our hometown with people from our hometown. And Ned is back running for office again, this time as governor. Ned's here in the WNHH studio to tell us all about that. Ned Lamont, welcome to WNHH. So nice to have you on the air. Great to be back. I say that we meet again. That's right. I'm going to ask you, Ned, to get so close to that mic that you're almost touching it with your lips, but not quite. So, Ned, you're one of many Democrats who are seeking the Democratic nomination for governor in 2018. The seat is going to be vacant. Why why are you running? Well, Paul, I've been very active in the state um, for many years as a teacher, as a business leader, as a candidate, thinking about how we get this state going again. And I've just been heartbroken. When you look at a state like Connecticut, just the incredible assets we have, our strategic location, the quality of our workforce, some great local businesses, and we're falling behind. And I really believe that the political class in Hartford has set us back. And I think somebody who's not afraid to take on a challenge, somebody who's not afraid to take on uh, the uh, status quo, somebody who's going to go up to Hartford and represent real change, we can turn the state around. So the political class is not willing to confront hard truths. That's sort of what you said in your announcement, Ned. You, you issued a video and you said that it's time for someone to speak truth about the problems with our budget, about the need to raise a minimum wage, uh, gain ground on pay equity, keep people in Connecticut with better paying jobs and lower cost of living, better access to health care. So what is it that, what kind of truth exactly are the Democrats and the Republicans in Hartford not willing to say? What are you saying that's true that they're not saying that's true? Look, for the last 20, 30 years, they've been trying to patch over a budget very short term, not making investments in our future, not making investments in transportation where we're falling behind, not making investments in the next generation of uh, leadership here when it comes to um, education and community and preparing people for this 21st century. I, I think that they are pretty good at making incremental short-term changes and fixing the budget to see if we can get through the next cycle. Maybe we haven't. It's been like Groundhog Day, right? Every two years we go through budgetary hell. Every three months, there's a new and now. It's every three income months income estimate that says the revenues are less than we thought they were going to be by a lot. And, and but that's that's why you need a governor. That's why you need a strong leader. That's why you have to be able to um, make the big changes that gets the state going again. And we can do it. I mean, it's. Um, that's how you get the business community confident about the state of Connecticut. And that's why Stanley Black and Decker says, I'm not going to go to South Carolina. I'm going to start growing jobs here. If we turn that quarter and give people a sense that we're preparing the state so you know what it's going to look like in 10 years. Now, Ned, I have heard Dan Malloy, the current governor, who's very unpopular, say the exact thing you just said, that no one's willing to do the big lift on transportation. He wants to do a multi-billion dollar transportation plan that has been stalled. What is different between what you're saying on transportation and what Dan Malloy is saying on transportation, and why would you be able to carry it out where he's been stalled? Well, I think he's right on transportation, and we need that infrastructure plan, and it represents thousands of good-paying jobs, gets people uh, back into the economic system, gives a lot of folks a second chance, it also rebuilds our infrastructure, makes us Connecticut. You know, we are the gateway to New England and New York. This should be a great advantage, not a disadvantage. 
Um, and tolls are going to they're going to be voting on it today in the legislature. Dan is bringing that forward strong. Look, I work well with people. I think uh, I will work with Republicans and Democrats, labor and business. It's going to be a, a collaborative process as we get this state going again. So you agree with Dan Malloy about a major transportation system that's going to improve mass transit, that's going to improve both trains, bus service, you're going to fix highways. But why would you be able to succeed where he hasn't? So he knows how to cut people's knees off to get stuff passed, right? Are you better cutting people's knees off? Are you better at getting people around a table? What, what would be different about Governor Ned? But for the Dan last 10 years, I have had um, business and labor around the table thinking about this state for the next 10 years. Uh, Sal Luciano, Oz Grable, we've been focused on where we want this state to go. I think that is true, though, Paul. Um, and that's the same collaborative way that I'm going to work when I get up to Hartford. And um, look, I'm a, I'm a nice guy, uh, but I'm also got claws. I'm going to be able to use the power of the governor's office to move an agenda. And I'm not going to get in the way of that agenda, but working with people, we can do it. And tolls will be, you know, focus number one for me because it's so important to the future of the state. I mean, we had all the business guys here just um, a month ago in, in, uh, in New Haven. And I think they're on board. If they say, if the politicians don't take the money, if they don't steal the money, if it really goes to transportation infrastructure, I think I can get business as well as labor on board for something that's so important. Mm -hmm. And you're listening to Ned Lamont, who's seeking the Democratic nomination for governor here on Dateline New Haven and WNHH FM 103.5 and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. So you talked about speaking truth. What would you say about the budget, which has been a fundamental problem? We've had deficits that go as high as $2.5 billion a year, and that every year we're scrambling to cut, 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 and no one wants to raise revenues, though you said you would, you would um, institute tolls. What are you saying about the budget that neither Democrats nor Republicans are saying about the budget in Hartford and what needs to happen? Well, first of all, I think people know that, um, look, in 2006, I took on my own party as well as the Republican Party and George Bush and the war in Iraq, and they know that I'm not afraid to stand up and challenge. And when it comes to this budget, um, I am going to be speaking truth and finding a collaborative way, working with labor, that we can move this state forward and have an honest and balanced budget. Look, until you have an honest and balanced budget, we're not going to have the revenues in place to invest in education, invest in uh, reducing the cost of uh, tuition in this state. I'm going to uh, put forward a plan not to increase this tax rate or that tax rate. That's legislative stuff. We're going to talk about real tax reform in the state. Look at how we raise our revenues for a 21st century economy. Right now we have a tax structure that's you know based on the 1950s, as if uh, you know Sears, Roebuck, and Macy's, and that sales tax will be the future of how we pay for things. So tell me about that. You think the combination of sales tax and income tax isn't a 21st century way of having a stable, predictable revenue stream for the state? Absolutely. I mean, I would look at um, broadening the base. Right now you have a sales tax that applies to less than half of our um, – uh, sales, we, we got, you know, uh, Chinese e-commerce companies putting uh, Main Street businesses in New Haven, New Britain, New London out of out of business. Do you think we'll be able to we, collect we, any sales tax? Would we be able to tax Amazon and, and Alibaba or whoever else is doing uh, the... Exactly. Good good for you. That would be a part of the solution. Look, the Supreme Court's ruling on that. A number of states have already put together a compact to do this. So broadening the sales tax to recognize the realities of 21st century commerce... Other thoughts, there have been, there's been a lot of talk nationally 
about a payroll tax. Um, and that has not been ideological. That's been people saying maybe is that more, more of a way to do it. What, what's your thinking on that? That's a tactic. Ever since uh, the Trump tax bill passed, which is going to probably cost Connecticut um, $750 million to a billion dollars. Right now, Connecticut already exports uh, billions of dollars a year to Washington. We don't get back. We're one of the few states that sends money down and doesn't get it back. Uh, and one of the reasons is uh, the fact that salt, we can't deduct the state and local taxes, that penal, it's a double taxation. It's a horrible rule. I can't believe Republicans have supported it either. But uh, yeah, so one of the ways to think well, it's about it's reason it's easy why they did because it's it's red state Republicans whose people are going to pay less blue tax. states, but it's contrary. But they to their won the election as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you want to be vindictive, I guess yeah. you you can make that case. But sure, maybe uh, finding a way that we uh, businesses can deduct payroll since we can't um, pay that tax, we can't deduct the income. So tax that's more of a tactic to deal with the new Republican that's tax bills. So, so yeah. but you're talking about vision, 21st century revenue, retail that have taxed it the way we're actually buying we stuff. We need a predictable, reliable revenue stream so we don't go through this budget hell every two years or, or even and, and you know, Ned, That's impossible for small business. It's impossible for teachers. They don't know if they're going to have a job at the high school this uh, fall. It's tough for the parents not knowing whether that... Um, Class is going to be open. So, Ned, you remember 1990 when uh, Governor Weicker was elected, and then 91 we got the income tax. One argument made for the income tax by the business community and from liberals was that it would be a predictable revenue stream, that the sales tax was unpredictable, and it was for 20 years. And then it became wildly unpredictable, and I don't know if that's because um, the wild swings in, in, uh, in hedge funds and you know equity firms incomes reported year to year and you know as we've had a more progressive income tax a bigger percentage of our revenues come from fairfield county from people's earnings swing in the millions every year or but for whatever reason it's become an unpredictable. so same people championed an income tax now say as being reliable now say it's the reason our revenues are so unreliable so following up what you said about sales tax being outdated because it doesn't tax the way we actually buy stuff what specifically would make revenues more predictable in the 21st century generally speaking broadening that base as i mentioned when it but came i mean to how commerce is um it takes some of that unpredictability out look low weicker did um institute the um income tax reduced a variety of other taxes reduced uh, company taxes uh, we ended up with surpluses, surpluses which should have been invested in our pension fund. Surpluses, right, and that was a bipartisan, that was a partisan election year deal with Jody Rell and, and Democrats. That was a bad deal, yeah. and we are paying the consequences of that today. Yeah. So, any other ideas besides e-commerce for how you're going to broaden the tax base? Well, I do believe that electronic tolling is going to be so, oh, tolling, a, okay. another way. Look, we don't we don't have to raise the gas. You know, I would find that a, I'd start. Walk before I run when it came to electronic tolling, but start a revenue stream that is predictable. We can bond against that. We can bring private in there, but it really represents thousands of important jobs, jobs with benefits, jobs that help you get a start as a career, jobs that for Connecticut people, that would be my priority. So who doesn't want to hear these difficult truths, as you're putting it, that you're speaking? Who's in the way? Look, I think anybody who, nobody wants to hear them. I mean, if you're up for re-election every uh, every Democrat, years, every that, Democrat has come here. Who wants to talk about yeah, that? As yeah. I go around the state of Connecticut, it's remarkable to me. We do it all these candidate forums. Uh, it's a happy group we get together. It really doesn't come up that much. I mean, uh, people want a more hopeful, aspirational Connecticut. How do we get this state going again? How is this going to be better for our kids? 
that's the focus people have. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, now your background, Ned, I want to talk about how you got into politics. So we all heard, started hearing about you in 2006 and you took on Joe Lieberman. You won a primary, lost the general election. You ran for governor again in 2010. But your career started in um, forming a cable company, right? Digital systems company. Well, tell me what that company was and what you built, what the concept was. Well, I've always loved starting businesses and um, upsetting the apple cart. Um, I, actually, I was Vermont Public Radio. I was sitting right where you are uh, many years ago. Uh, but then about 30 years ago, um, I thought the cable television utilities were uh, uh, ripping off folks, and we had a better way to do it. We focused on one market, which was the university market, and we provided a much better service and educational as well as an uh, entertainment component, and we did it at a third the cost. So you sold cable systems to universities? We built telecommunication systems with uh, video services for universities. And that was in exactly. the 90s? 2000s. Oh, I did that uh, in most of the 80s, the 90s, and sold the company a few years ago. But the point is, we took on the status quo. We took on those utilities. We found a better way to do it at less cost and better for the consumers. We don't have much of that entrepreneurial zip when it comes to uh, the state of Connecticut. So what do you doing? Most people are sort of defending how we do it instead of being open to change. So uh, how have you been making a living since we last checked in with you in 2010 when you ran for governor? What, what are you doing for a living now? Uh, over the last 10 years, I've been a professor at Central Connecticut State, working on not what Connecticut looks like for the next year, but for the next 10 years. I've started up two new media companies. Yeah, tell me about those. I'm, what are I'm they? just chairman. I'm not a day-to-day -day guy. I'm a little old for some of the new media. But, um, but you, you were, before we went in the year, you actually told me a lot. I don't know, and I do this every day. What are the two companies you started? Well, two, one is um, I, I worked with two great entrepreneurs who really started these companies. Um, uh, one is called Watch Up, and Watch Up is the Spotify for news. So let's say uh, the same way you have your playlist for music, and uh, you're particularly interested in, or Marshall, you want um, news about New Haven, you want news about uh, Trump, and you want news about um, uh, music. And uh, we would tag newscasts from around the world and put together a video. playlist, video newscasts from around the world or the places you want. And you would wake up and uh, while you're on the uh, elliptical, you get your 25 targeted newscasts. Yeah, I don't go on the elliptical. But what, uh, <laughs> how's that company doing? It's doing great. We sold it to a Silicon Valley startup that does the same thing, not just for news, but, but other is it an app? Stores. Is it, is uh, it, it an it's app? like an app, but really what they're doing now is playing it into uh, Apple TV and ways that you can access this right off of your TV. So people are well getting that now. Because yes. I do think that's where news is headed when we look at the next step with online news is that um, in the old days, you had a night editor and a wire editor at a print newspaper who decided from all the sources in the world, what are the 10 stories his readership in New Haven or Bridgeport or uh, Santa Clara was going to want to read that next morning yeah. and chose yeah. it for you. Now that editor no longer exists to those newspapers, but I think more and more people are going to aggregators, like, for instance, the, the, the Skim, you know, that uh, newsletter that millions of people That's read true. from the old NBC. And what you're doing with Spotify with video, where I think people are going to say, everyone's going to have a personalized newspaper, whatever form, if it's a video app like WhatsApp, or where, you know, whether it's Drudge, but it's actually going to be laid out on your phone. But I want services like what you have here local is being a big part of it. But what I mean is like, so what I mean, instead of going to New Haven independent website, the way a lot of people still do, right. They're going to go to an aggregator like your company, another company that most understands them and sign up, as you said, 
for stories about New Haven politics, Chicago Bears sports, um, Wall Street news, uh, maybe the person's interested in in Romania because they have relatives there. And they will get their, all the um, stories that come from those different newsrooms will be in one place on their phone. That's what I think it's And going. I hope it's also a way that local news gets more exposure. You yeah. don't have to just go to that um, New Haven independent location, but be part of a bigger screen. Right, I think that's what I'm saying. That's really important. I don't want to lose that local connection. That's where I come out of. Ned Lamont, what was the second business that you were involved in starting up since you're uh, in the last 10 years? Oh, it's a neat company. It's called Stringer. We have um, uh, 50,000 young people with their iPhones. And when they see something newsworthy, rather than upload it to uh, YouTube, they upload it to Stringer. We authenticate it. We know it's not fake news. And again, uh, local news operations can pick up this um, you know, two-minute, three-minute video feed and use that. And it means we get news out of just Washington, New York, San Francisco, the typical Bosnia-Wash uh, corridor, and it's much more local. It's much more citizens' journalism, and we're being able to sell this type of local programming to folks around the country. Did you read, the, well. you read the Google's moving in on you? It's okay. Google announced an experiment yesterday in local news, citizens' local news. They're rolling it out in Oakland and one other city where they're asking people to do exactly what you just said, upload a story on your phone. They'll authenticate it, and then anyone in the other kind of established media can pick up that story. So you say the more the oh, merrier. Oh, great. So we got Google coming after us. <laughs> we got a head start. Doesn't mean they'll do better. Doesn't mean they understand no, better understand how it's done. we understand this business. We understand how important that local content is to people. We do it at a fraction of the cost of what Google will. So while Google's coming after Ned Lamont, Ned Lamont's coming after the 5,300 p- other people running for governor, hoping to be the one who breaks off from the pack in 2018. And he's here on Dateline New Haven on WNHH, your home for community radio, 103.5 FM, live stream at newhavenindependent.org. Tell us about it. So, Ned, you, the last t- times you ran for us was 2006. You ran for Senate. You ran a primary against Joe Lieberman, who was an incumbent. You beat him. Then he beats you in the general. And then in 2010, you ran for governor for the Democratic nomination, and you lost to Dan Malloy. What did you learn from those two defeats that will help shape the campaign you're running now? Yeah, good question. I love that campaign uh, in 2006 for U.S. Senate. It was bold and clear. We stood tall for our progressive values. Everybody understood Every new, Iraq war, single-payer health care. We were clear as day on what we believe, what we were going forward. It was totally aspirational. We were running against... Chuck Schumer and Karl Rove and a bunch of people I was ready to take on both sides of the aisle. Uh, And we did have uh, one of the largest turnouts in the history of Democratic primaries. And I think standing up and being clear is lesson number one. And uh, that's what we need to do this time. Uh, The race with Dan was a little more complicated. It was about um, a state digging its way out from a severe economic malaise. I warned, and it probably wasn't that happy a, a message, that if we weren't ready to make the big changes in terms of how we raise revenue and deliver services, we were going to be having the exact same debate eight years later. And I hate to say it, but here we are eight years later, we're having that same debate. But you also, you didn't inspire people the way you did in 2006. Is that because there are circumstances beyond your control as a candidate that sometimes help you and sometimes hurt you? Like what was going on in 2010 that that magic from 2006? I think I got too hard in the details about how we... uh, Step by step. I've got to tell people this is an amazing state with a great future, a great education system, uh, a transportation system that needs some help. 
I got to convince the business community, get off the ledge. Stop bad-mouthing the state of Connecticut. Come on board. With you on board, we're going to get this state going again. You need a positive message about why this state's going. It's sort of, it's a sort of cloud of pessimism hanging over Connecticut right now, isn't there? I mean, I hear the legislature, not New Haven. the political world. I think New Haven's this island of, of progress. I agree. I, I love agree. New Haven. <laughs> I, I think, the, I, you know. Um, we got things that could always be okay, better, but that's part of what's good about notice, it. But I really think the future of the state runs through New Haven. You're mm-hmm. centrally located. You've got a great um, uh, university system, three great schools here. You've got um, a good mayor who's got this, sti- this city on track. And uh, you need New Haven as an anchor city for this uh, state. All right, now, the, something else happened in 2006, which is that you got your 15 minutes of fame. I mean, you know, or now maybe it's seven minutes given the uh, height, the shortened news cycle. But you were a celebrity. When you took on Joe Lieberman, you captured the aspirations of people who had no idea who Ned Lamont was, but loved the idea that this long-term senator who was sort of doing business as usual might get toppled. You were, um, you were on, I just remember as a reporter, when I'd write about you on our new website, we'd be read around the world if we put Ned Lamont in. You were on Stephen Colbert's show. You were in all the magazines, International Press Corps. The night of your primary, when we were all married and getting the results, the International Press Corps was there. The bloggers who were just first emerging at the grassroots were in one room, and the New York Times and foreign newspapers and TV stations were in another room. How did... What was it like to emerge from that? That's heady stuff. When you're an internet, when you're on national TV, when you're international newspapers and magazines, when every day everyone's paying this incredible attention to you, what's it like to come down from that? I always wondered if in 2010 that was a hard adjustment because it was no longer part of this international crusade. All of a sudden, it was some guy who wanted to be governor against some other guy who wanted to be governor. How do you recover from 15 minutes of fame and and? not need a high the way a crack addict needs to keep getting the next crack hit. <laughs> oh, thank you for that uh, analogy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I... Um, that must have been I, exciting. I spent a week feeling like I let some people down. When was this? In 2006. I mean, I had folks who had never voted before, folks who really believed that we were part of something bigger and we were going to be able to go down and, uh, and change Washington. And uh, I run into these people every day. It was the first time I got out of Barco Lounger and got involved. And I- I'm glad you're back again. I'm a little different than the political guys. I mean, I lose a race and I, I did have a business to go back to. Uh, so I wasn't like I was sitting there twiddling my thumbs. But more importantly, I fell in love with the state of Connecticut during that race. I loved going to 169 towns. But I was not going to let those people down. So I stayed involved every day going forward. That's when I did Yale. That's when I did Central Connecticut State. That's when we put together the Blue Ribbon Commission of Business and Labor to get this state going again and thinking in a collegial, collaborative way how we turn Connecticut around. But what it's like to be in that surreal celebrity moment and then emerge from it. I mean, you did run in this kind of fourth dimension in the 2006 primary. Yeah, right? you were more impressed than that. I was I was just showing up that next day. Oh, come on, man. You were, the, out, come um, on, you had celebrities talking about you and you were on TV with Stephen Colbert. That was different Colbert from the rest of your life. Colbert was kind of cool. I got to yeah. Colbert comes to the green room. I'm, <laughs> Ariana I'm, Huffington. I'm scared yeah. out of my mind, by the way. And he says, uh, Mr. Lamont, I play the role of a total idiot. Enjoy yourself for the next seven minutes. I'm like, oh my God, what's he gonna ask me? It worked out okay. Don't try and out funny Stephen Colbert. All right. So um now let me do a little lightning round with you, Ned Lamont. So um 
quick on where you're going to issues. Public financing. Are you going to be running clean or are you going to be self-financing this election? It's going to be a clean campaign. I'm going to raise more small money donations than anybody. I'm going to show like the Lieberman campaign that this is a grassroots ener- energized um are you going to Both. get matching funds? I'm not going to take uh, the taxpayer money on this, but I'm going to fight for CEP and make sure that everybody else who needs that to compete, we can keep that going. It's so how much? You, how much of your about. own? How much of your own money are you putting in? Look, I found in the Lieberman campaign that um, I didn't spend any more than him, but there was all this outside money coming in. I'm going to try and hold as close as I can to what everybody else is doing, but as soon as I see that outside money coming in again. Yeah, the uh, Republican governors have already gone after me. You know, I'll be there to compete. So, in other words, you'll put your own money in to match whatever special interest money is coming in on the other side. Do enough to compete. So, would you put two million in? Do you have a cap what you would put in? Or what's no, available? I don't think about it that way. But I'm not. I'm going to try and make sure that this is a grassroots campaign. So then, why not run in the in the public financing process? Why not swear off special interest money? Not put your own money in and swear rely completely on the money. people. I don't take from PACs. I don't take from my. So city you're not going to take. For, so you're no, going to follow those rules. I'm not doing lobbyists. I'm not doing any. So you're going to reject those nominations. Other... I mean, those those contributions. You will reject I am. it. I did last time. So you I will. So time. you will run by the rules of public financing. You're just not going to take public money, and you will put your own money in. That's correct. So if why not believe in the people to carry you all the way there? Why do you need to put your own money in to counter what you think is the special interest money the Republicans are going to put in? This is going to be a crossroads election. Let me tell you, the amount of red money coming in from Washington, RGA, Koch brothers, uh, they want to turn Connecticut red. Mm-hmm. They really want to do it. They want this to be a state not of Connecticut values, but Trump values. And I'm going to stand up and make sure that never So you're going to do a combination of small donations and your own, but not the special interest money. You How much it. did you have to put in of your money in 26 and 2010? I can't, I can't remember exactly, but uh, a lot. Ballpark. I mean, we had to um, compete with uh, Joe Lieberman, you know, dollar for right. dollar going in. Uh, Dan had a lot of public finance. He got some additional money that came in. I didn't exactly have the state party working with me then. I'm not sure about now. So there were a lot of other factors. So that ballpark, get in there. how much did you put in? I mean, Linda McMahon put fifty million in each campaign. Oh, I, th- I put in a small fraction of that, Paul. Ballpark. Well, in the race for a governor, probably eight or nine. Eight or nine million. Yeah. And how about Senate? I don't care. You don't care. Okay. Well, I, I care about the fact that we. Um, we made people stand up. Democrats got proud. We opposed that war in Iraq, and we uh, elected a president named Barack Obama who ended our frontline role. I was proud of every moment of that campaign. Single-payer health insurance. I think it's something Washington should put front and center. I want a Democrat in the White House in Washington that doesn't nickel and dime around the edges. That it's loud and clear. Would you and do look, it? And I'm a business guy, so I can sell this. A little untraditional. Oh, Lamont from Greenwich, a business guy. How's he talking about a single-payer system? Because it helps small business, it helps entrepreneurship, and it helps a lot of people who are terrified that Trump's trying to take away their health care. Mm-hmm. Would you do it on a state level, or would Vermont's experience be a cautionary tale since Vermont couldn't pull it off? I think at the state level, we're going to do everything we can to expand health care, make it more accessible, make sure that folks don't have to worry about where their health care is coming from. But single payer is going to be led by the uh, Washington. I always wondered whether the red state, States who don't want it can have one system, and the blue states would have big enough. I, although I guess it's only about uh, fewer than half the states now have Democratic governors or legislatures. I think we're, it's down I, to I don't like, like twenty-seven. That solution. I think huh? we're a nation. I think we're a nation where we say health care is a right. It's going to be universal for everybody. Not mm-hmm. everybody, except for those in Mississippi. Sanctuary <laughs> state and sanctuary city. The Trump administration has threatened to defund 
uh, communities that don't cooperate with the secure communities program, so-called, when you when you don't share information about people you've locked up or, or detained and removed and released to the Trump administration, are you going to continue the state sanctuary policies? I'm going to follow what Dan, and in particular what Tony Harp has done. She's been a hero on this. His policies are dead wrong when it comes to uh, where we ought to be on um, folks, whatever their background, wherever they're coming from. This is a state. We are a country that welcomes people of different origin, and we're going to make sure that they're welcome here. And I'll tell you something, um, Paul. What, years ago, I was a, uh, a volunteer teacher at Harding High School in Bridgeport, and I was there the day that our kids got um, you know, into college and they realized they had scholarships. And I was there the day that a lot of those kids who weren't fortunate enough to be born in the state, who are some of our best students who got that, realized they weren't able to collect that scholarship. So that touched me every day. I remember that. I'm going to be fighting for them. And what about um, marijuana legalization, recreational use of marijuana? I'm ready to legalize it. I think we ought to do it now. I think um, it's so uneven, the enforcement. I think it's uh, racially motivated in many cases. I think it creates a certain disrespect for the law. And if we can raise some revenue so we can deal with treatment and the opioid epidemic and uh, make it a positive, I do it. And legalizing, it doesn't expand what's going on. Uh, the illegal community is already filling that. And I'm, frankly, I'm kind of glad that Colorado took the lead. I got five years of experience so we can learn from them. And I think uh, now even Republican senator of Colorado, who was against legalization now, fights for it. And he's opposing Jeff Sessions, the U.S. Attorney General, and trying to interfere with it. He said it's important to their economy and it's working. The police chiefs there do not like it. They said there is more dangerous driving, more people getting hurt in accidents and stuff like that. Did you ever see, there was a funny ad when uh, they legalized pot in, um, in, in Colorado. The, the billboard said, because they, you know, they were talking about accidents and driving and high, and they said, minimum speed limit 35. <laughs> I, I, um, I think we can be careful about that. I think we're going to measure people and see what their... Um, Levels are, that we can deal with that. Speak. Colorado's dealt with it. It's not a problem there. Opioid addiction is down in Colorado, not up, because the medical marijuana or marijuana is an alternative. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, some people in the Democratic Party want to raise the highest margin income taxes, 6.99% to 7.5% for incomes over either a half million or a million. How do you feel about that? Very carefully. Look, I talk to the um, folks all the time, and I can tell you the wealthy, the business community, they are ready to do more. They are ready to step up if it's part of a real solution. So you would raise highest margin. If it's they- part of a real solution, mm-hmm. what drives everybody crazy, what drives labor crazy, as well as uh, taxpayers, are you going to come back to me in two years? Are you going to come back to me two years after that? That I think people will find unacceptable, and I will too. Part of a real solution on the table. And what about um, carried interest loophole that uh, the federal government, would you tax the gap here? Would you try to make it up in the state level? Look, everybody opposes the carried interest loophole. Remember, in Connecticut, capital gains and earned income are already taxed at the same rate. The loophole is the difference between um, income and capital gains tax down in Washington. On the federal, you're taxed. the federal level, Like in other words, a a waitress has to pay whatever, 28%, whatever, whereas the hedge fund owns only 15% because his income gets defined differently. Yeah, those numbers aren't quite right, but, Right. um, but the message is there. You know who dealt with that? in a very uh, responsible way? Ronald Reagan. Okay, now I'm in trouble. Ronald Reagan said in his uh, tax reform, I'm going to tax capital gains and earned income at the same rate. That's probably the most thoughtful way to So you're saying the solution has, that that solution has to happen federally? Yeah, we don't have that gap in, the, in Connecticut. You know, Earned mm. income and capital gains are the same way. 
Any way I can close it, though, I will. There's no excuse for an investor to pay at a, a lower rate than a waitress. And then um, the estate tax, would you increase it, wipe it out? The estate tax? Um, I think you got to um, raise the threshold so it matches what we're doing at the federal level. I do know I'm surrounded by people. I'm out of here. I'm going to Florida. Lamont. Is that true, though, or is that just fake? No, I'm afraid it's true. I'm a, Look, I'm the only Democrat down in Lower Fairfield County, at least the one they identify with. So everybody moving, they all come to me. But I, Someone's really going to move to Florida simply because if they're, uh, if they're making millions of dollars a year, they might have to pay a little more in the state tax? It's one of eight things. They're going down there anyway. Uh, it's, um, That's what I'm saying. They're going war, down there anyway. I mean, but yeah. it's one more contributing factor. We, we, we liberals cannot deny that. That said... Um, I'm leaving it alone. I've got a budget crisis. I've got to make sure that everybody is at the table helping us find a solution. Mm-hmm. So cutting taxes for a bunch of guys in Lower Fairfield County on that um, is not going to be on my agenda. And what about a response to the state education funding lawsuit where uh, Judge Malkashir had said that we have an unconstitutionally irrational way that we fund our schools? He was just overturned by the Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court. What, if any, action is going to be taken so that we're not cutting money to schools in Bridgeport to increase money to schools in Westport, which is the thing that really set the judge going. <laughs> um, what you want is a governor that knows that investment in education is the key to our future. I mean, I, I don't want courts determining how we do things in the classroom. Teachers don't want the courts or the hedge fund guys and the reform guys telling them what to do. Um, I'm not sure I want the legislature nickel and diming everything we do. And, but I, as a governor, will be the education governor. And I will do everything I can when it comes to pre-K and after-school activities and, and making um, a community college affordable. If you get a good-paying job, if you get a job here in Connecticut, we forgive your loan. And can I say one other thing, just because I'm kind of in on this subject? Um, I'm going to show respect for our teachers. I think we've been bad-mouthing our teachers. It's all about the pensions, all that nonsense for a long time. Central Connecticut State, where I am, I spent a lot of time in the teacher's college. We used to have the um, top 25% of the students going into teaching. We no longer have that uh, at CCSU and a lot of other teacher's colleges. I'm going to make sure the teachers are respected, the profession is respected, the funding is there so we can make this an education state. Harry writes in on Facebook, what does he think of Trump's DACA immigration proposal? I, the dreamers. I think he's using um, 16-year-old kids who came into this country uh, at a very young age as a cheap political You know, I thought. kind of feel, Ned, that on Tuesdays and Thursdays, he's kind of sympathetic to them. And then on Wednesdays and Fridays, he then says, well, we're going to push him out too bad. I kind of yeah. I don't know where he is. I think it's who's in his office last and what pictures they show him. I, I'm a little conflicted because... Um, I always thought Lindsey Graham was one of the worst senators, and, uh, and he's pretty good on this issue. And he does seem to be well, budging um, Trump a little bit. Well, Trump has, has kind of said he would go, if you give me money for my wall, he says, and they keep adding billions to that wall, I'll let you keep the dreamers in, and they can't have their parents get citizenship or any other relatives come in. What do you think of that deal? I think there's a deal that can be done. Obviously, the wall is a waste of money. It's an honor, you know, honoring his campaign pledge. But we've got to take that sword off the, the threat off of our kids. These uh, these uh, these dreamers here. We can do it in a piecemeal way in Connecticut, but we need the feds to do it. I would find a deal that makes sense. And then finally, mass transit. Can we call it border security instead of a wall? So you know, one thing I know, uh, Dan. 
Malloy did get big margins of victory in New Haven. People have generally been pleased here in the city. One place he's completely ignored, what we've asked him to do, is bus service. Even though the bus drivers are great, they have new buses, the routes are out of another century about when people go to work and where. You can't rely on it, and it, it shuts down at like 5 o'clock as though city, or 5.30, is, you know, that's when they start coming every hour or two. You can't get to jobs that are now in suburbs on weekends or at night. Um, it's now been seven years administration. They, they promised at least to give us GPS on the buses, and that took years, and when they finally rolled them out, they still don't work. What would you do different with bus service? Or is that a moot question as we go to driverless services that you think maybe no, mass transit no, is not, not going to be buses in the future? It's key to our future to make sure that folks can get to work, kids can get to school, we but can will get we around. But what will we be doing with buses? The, no, I know that, but are we going to be doing mass transit the same way or will technology be changing that? Well, first of all, with electronic tolling, I got to do everything I can to make sure it's not regressive and doesn't penalize uh, Connecticut folks. And one way you do that is to open up bus service and train service. Oh. Maybe you make um, public transportation free during the off-peak hours. Do everything you oh, can to make idea. it easier for folks to get around and get those uh, cars off the road. And I'm a technology guy. I'm an innovator. I'm an entrepreneur, Paul. But I just can't figure out why Silicon Valley says the driverless car is their moonshot for the 21st century. For me, it's not in the top 20. I mean, these are hundreds of thousands of great paying jobs. It's not going to render things much safer or much more efficient, at least not for the near term. I'd like to see Silicon Valley looking in terms of public transportation and high-speed rail and get people moving around a lot more efficiently. How would you improve bus service? Because there's been a complete failure of the Department of Transportation. Every press conference in New Haven, there have been not a dozen, or it's a train station about people who ride from Fairfield County. There hasn't been a single one about bus service and really, people, it's, a, it's now a system of last resort. Because I ride buses. Yeah. And um, I think, and if you don't come, Dan Malloy said here on the radio, he said, well, just leave work earlier. Because I said, you know, most people leave work after 4.30 or 5. And then it's like kind of hard to get a bus. We're going backwards right now, right? We're cutting back on bus service. We're making trains less frequent. So we are going to kill public transportation, which is so key to our future. Again, I come up with that revenue stream that allows us to expand bus service, make trains more frequent. So it's easy. So you know that every 10 minutes you can count on it. There it is. And guess me where I got to go. And where you are right now is Dateline New Haven on WNHHFM. You're home for community radio at 103.5 and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. We're talking to Ned Lamont. You've heard of him before and you're hearing about him again. He's running for governor, seeking the Democratic nomination in this year, 2018. So Ned, let me ask you about positioning. So Howard Dean, who had run for president, he was in New Haven recently at Yale. And he said, it's time for the baby boomers to step aside, people of his generation, your generation, my generation, that we need younger people running for office. We're hanging on too long. We need the bench. How old are you? About 65, Ned? I beg to differ. I just turned 64. 64, sorry. Is Howard Dean right that you need to step aside for, let's say, the Luke Bronins, who are 37, or the Aaron Stewart, who's 30? And she just announced this yeah, week. Yeah, maybe Aaron morning. thinks that Luke's a little old. Um, <laughs> yeah. Look, first of all, it's how young your ideas are. Mm, mm. But I'll tell you a fun story. Uh, that's, that's a good the, answer. The guy that, um, had, you, had you been asked that question before? That you just, I, up with I that? just made it up. But, um, <laughs> that's a good one. But I'll t- uh, the guy that inspired me more than anybody else in that um, campaign with Joe Lieberman was Ted Kennedy. Mm. And uh, they asked Ted, you know, how about passing the torch to a new generation of leadership? And aren't you getting a little old? He was 70 or something at the time. And Ted goes, Senator Kennedy goes, um, when I was young... I talked about passing the torch to a new generation of leadership. Now I'm 70, 
and I talk about experience. <laughs> and then he goes, That's a good accent. He goes, you do the accent. Well. And he goes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Look, I don't think that makes a difference. I don't think that makes a difference to people. I'm, but I am a little different. This is not some stepping stone for Dead Labonte. I do this for four years. I go down and work for uh, yet another Clinton or something. This is not it. This, for me, 64, is sort of liberating, uh, Paul. I mean, I'm just going to go up there, probably step on a few toes, work in a collegial way as best as I can, and turn this state around. Get you an honest budget where we start investing in our future again and make sure that young people know this is a state where they want to be. And then at 68, I say job well done. I'll make the next governor look really good. Wait, so good. you're going to run one term? No, I'm going to take it as long as it takes me to turn it around. But I'll tell you one thing, and I think Dan found this as well. You're at your greatest point of leverage when you're elected. If you tell people what you're going to do and you have a mandate to do it, I've got that a first couple year. of years. Or Lyndon Johnson at 65, his landslide he knew was only going to last nine months and he passed, you know, environmental legislation, Civil Rights Act, exactly. Medicare. Exactly. I mean, Medicaid. That's yeah. sort of how I think about it. So I mean, that, I've got to well, do you know, it fast and serious. And it's interesting. Dan Malloy did that in 2011. In his first year, he said, I'm going to try to use this victory, which was not resounding. Remember, it took days to count it. It was so close. But I watched him with Chamber of Commerce and with Labor. And he got Chamber of Commerce's Chambers of Commerce to support a billion dollar tax increase. And he, he got labor support was being billed as a billion dollars in labor savings, although a lot of that turned out not to be true. It was probably more what, like what, 600 million? But still, he got big concessions on both sides. At a year where I don't think there was a single other governor who got both tax increase and labor givebacks. I believe Cuomo got the labor givebacks. Some other places got a tax increase. And yet, and that was big, and that's hard to do. And yet, he has not balanced the budget since. What went wrong and what would you do differently there? I think it's a different time. I think, uh, I said before, 2010, there was um, ideas that we might be able to nickel and dime around, maybe a little increase here, maybe a little cut there. I think this is a time that requires big changes. Not raising that income tax rate by itself, but as part of a comprehensive reform like we talked about in terms of how you raise revenues. Making sure that um, we honor our commitments to our state employees. And I, I feel bad for the young employees. They've given up so much. And isn't uh, the biggest right bill really the older employees? And there's not much well, you we can tinker with that. Well, there are some things we can do. Look, on the, on the teacher pension fund, for example, uh, I've got to sit down day one and make sure that we can smooth out that pension obligation. It took us 30 plus years to get into this mess. And it's going to take us a while to get out you of it. You smooth it by deferring some of the payments and then having the total cost go up? You smooth it by paying it over 25 years and not over 10 years. We're going to have an incredible shortfall, which could bankrupt the state or really put our risk, put us at risk if we don't get that done. So there are some very pragmatic And how do the rating agencies do? deal? Whenever you stretch out debt like that, they tend not to like it and they lower your bond rating and then it costs you more money no, to borrow. No, that's not true. Unless, I, you, I, unless I, you convince them that it's part of a smart plan that goes along with it's other... It's part of a long-term plan with a governor that says, I'm committed to uh, um, honoring our commitments to our employees and investing in that money. Remember, under a Weicker, I was um, chairman of the Investment Advisory Council. We worked on the pension fund. We worked on these issues, mainly on the investment side, doing more to improve the returns of our pension funds so we have a little more money there to deal with as years go on. One or 2% improved return makes an enormous difference over time. Mm -hmm. So now, now, this is the year of the woman, Me Too, and before that, the Women's March. Record number of women running for office, people saying that, not just in politics, but entertainment and in, in corporate suites need a change. You're going to be, if 
both for the primary and if you make the general election, you could be running against women making that case. How do you run against a Susan Bysowitz or an Aaron Stewart who says it's time for a woman to be in charge? I think, um, A, I'll be a champion for women. And uh, people know that I, um, in, my, in my company, in my business, in my life, I realize how important women are. I'm going to make the changes in the workforce here when it comes to paid sick leave and pay equity. Look, it's um, in New Haven and in Hartford. I mean, um, it's it's poor women that earn 40 or 50 cents on the dollar compared to, uh, you know, it's just extraordinary. So, A, a champion for women and making sure we have a workforce that welcomes women, allows them to grow. And, and secondly, in the year of the woman, you know, you want somebody who's going to fight for the state and has the qualifications, doesn't just want the job, but wants to do the job. And that's who I will be. But believe me, when it comes to welcoming people to the state of Connecticut from all backgrounds, I'll be the champion. And Ned Lamont, um, you mentioned Oz Griebel earlier and how you're going to work with him trying to solve the problems of Connecticut, do it in a non-ideological, moving forward way, going past old orthodoxies. He used to be business leader of Metro Alliance in Hartford. He's running as a third-party candidate. He wants to be the next Lowell Weicker. How do you position yourself against him if he's doing exactly what you say you want to do and he's doing it without being part of either party? Well, he's not doing exactly what I want to do. Let's say he wants to move everybody into a 401k. Right. And I will probably push back and I say, you get state employees, move all the young ones into a 401k. That bleeds our state pension fund. It makes it tougher for us to uh-huh. um, pay for things. I would say I'd go the other direction. Why don't we allow more small business to buy into our pension fund uh-huh. so they have retirement security? That w- I was a small business guy. That would be great you know, it if I could me that even that. unions have kind of accepted this idea that new generations of workers should have variations of 401ks, which I thought it was an article of faith that you don't want to make the most vulnerable investors have their retirement banking on Wall Street. Why don't people want defined benefit plans anymore? Uh, defined benefit plans makes a lot of work for, you know, we've got 35 billion bucks. If, if you're on a 401k, uh, Marsh, you're on a 401k and Trump goes and invades Iran and the market collapses. You're sunk. And all of a sudden you got to borrow money to pay for something. You don't have any retirement security. Connecticut, you know, our pension funds are underfunded. No question about it. That's going to be fixed. But we do have $35 billion. We can take some of that volatility. And by the way, we can invest it so much better than um, your cousin Luke, who's advising you on your, uh, you know, your 401k. How about Mayor Luke? Why, 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 why do you make a better candidate than Mayor Luke? Luke Bronin of Hartford. I, um, I think I know Luke pretty well. He's a, he, he'd be a good governor. Now is not his time. I think he should complete the promise he made to the folks in Hartford. I will work with him hand in glove. He's somebody I can really work well with. And um, then he can, then he can run for governor and point to his success. You mentioned the Koch brothers. You mentioned Republican funders ready to pour money into what's being called a toss up race by the cook report and others this year, the race you're entering Ned Lamont for governor is Connecticut turning red or purple. No, Connecticut has Connecticut values. We do not have Trump values. And I'm going to remind people every day why you want to have a Democratic governor who welcomes folks and gets the state moving again. And Ned Lamont, you are seeking to be that governor. I will be that governor. Ned Lamont, thanks so much for coming on WNHH's Dateline Navy. It was a real pleasure. It's back like old times in 2006, 2010. Um, Ned is seeking the Democratic nomination, and I want to thank you for joining us today in Dateline New Haven. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience. 
performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free from the group CD A Plea for Peace. Now we know what it's like to be free. We just got to remember to book our flight. Book your flight with us all day and all night long here at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio. (laughs) 